0: H.P. Lovecraft. Have any of y'all guessed what our H.P. Lovecraft story is for today? Um, I think Edgar Allan Poe is slightly more recognized among many, but uh, I hope you will. I hope you will enjoy this story as well. We are going to be reading Dagon. This is a shorter one, and part of the reason I chose this is because Dagon leads into uh, an expansion of this same idea called The Shadow over Innsmouth, um, and I really want to get to both of them, I think they're both fascinating, and as such, we're reading Dagon because it's the shorter of the two. Now, as we did before, I want to spend some time here sort of looking for our art. So, let's take a look at this. We look for Telltale Art. Let's see if you, if you don't want any sort of spoilers on this, you may want to sort of mute until we head back to the library. Maybe look away, and I won't talk about it. I'll just sort of uh, bring up some some interesting ideas here. Let's see, what do we have, what do we have down here? You know what, I think this one might be kind of interesting. I think, I think we need to, we need to emphasize the first part of the story though. Uh, Dahlia says, I'm running the Among Us posts to rally peeps for playing tomorrow night. Yes, indeed, yeah, y'all who are interested, uh, head over to Dahlia's room if you want to pop the uh, the link in chat there, Dahlia. Um, or any of y'all can use the friends command. Go ahead and check that out. What is, what is this? Um, this will be kind of fun because you all have a chance to uh, to see a lot of the fun stuff that I tend to explore here as I am trying to find art for the channel. Um, you can see there's a lot of like there's a lot of strange stuff, a lot of frankly unhelpful stuff, um, and so kind of the search process becomes a bit of a skill unto itself, and I think I've gotten fairly good at it. Let's go ahead and use this one. Okay, so we got the first of our two images. Let's see a second one. I gotta, I gotta try not to talk about this too much. <laughs> Some of these are goofy, aren't they? Oof, oof. Not much available here, is there? Um. Okay. <sighs> All right, there we go. And uh, just a little tip from me to you, if y'all haven't noticed, I'm doing it already. Uh, I definitely and frequently will use, I'll use my face cam. To hide elements of art that don't quite fit what I need it for, um, so you will often find that I have used, <laughs> for instance right now let's uh, let's go ahead and get these mountains nipped out of the way there. Just go ahead and tuck that off to one side. Um, yeah I will I will frequently use these to to hide different elements I don't care for. All right, now everyone, we are back in the library. Welcome back. everyone. we are about to undertake a story by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, we talked at the top of the hour about how we are here to examine the story, we're here to examine the mythos, we're here to examine the the genre of horror, and not to support the author themselves, because I think um, uh, history has been rightfully unkind to H.P. Uh, Lovecraft as a terrible bigot and someone who, as an author, we are not going to support. However, I think um, really the only way to... The only way to, to to live and to advance is to identify those things, to take what is good, what is helpful um, from those folks and leave behind the rest. So we're leaving behind those elements of, of Lovecraft. I am going to call them out as I see them. Um, and with that, let us commence with... H.P. Lovecraft. Now, H.P. Lovecraft, as I mentioned, not someone who really lived inside their world like I think Poe kind of did, kind of did. I think Poe really did obsess over many of the ideas that became obsessions for characters in his stories. Um, I think he spent a lot of time thinking about revenge and and uh, murder. Lovecraft, um, although many folks would you know consider him sort of similarly like dark and mysterious, he was someone who would joke about the mythos that he put forward. Um, he's someone who shared these ideas with other authors of the day. Um, this, isn't, it, this is all to say that he was not someone who sort of believed that this was the truth of reality. Um, he was someone who had a sort of... Had an idea of a, of a sort of horror that could exist. It's a horror of scale. Not like you would see on the outside of a, f- a fish creature, but like you would uh, consider sort of uh, scales of size, a scale of time. And we're going to explore that more after we actually read the dang thing. But um, it's a very different type of horror. Um, it is less, I would say in this particular work, it is less introspective than Poe's horror. Um, I think I think Poe's horror is the, the terror of looking inward. And I think Lovecraft, we could perhaps say, is the terror of looking outward and seeing that there are no borders there. This story is called Dagon. Um, As I mentioned, it is a... The first sort of foray, he would go on to explore this idea in the Shadow over Innsmouth, and... That is part of the reason why I'm going to go ahead and do this one today, because I would love to get to that one later on. Because of the different style of this, I'm going to be reading it in a different style. It's going to be less frenetic than the other one. Nonetheless, I hope you enjoy this. Dagon. A short story by H.P. Lovecraft. And Rubik's Gaming, I am certainly glad you're enjoying it. Y'all can expect there to be at least one spooky story night during... Book Fair, last week of September. Never you forget, and never you forget to head over to the Discord, and let me know what else you'd like to see on the schedule for Book Fair. Dagon, a short story by H.P. Lovecraft. (sighs) I am writing this under an appreciable mental strain since by tonight I shall be no more. Penniless, and at the end of my supply of the drug which alone makes life endurable, I can bear the torture no longer, and shall cast myself from this garret window into the squalid street below. Do not think from my slavery to morphine that I am a weakling or a degenerate, When you have read these hasty, scrawling pages, you may guess, though never fully realize, why it is that I must have forgetfulness or death. It was in one of the most open and least frequented parts of the broad Pacific that the packet, of which I was supercargo, fell a victim to a German sea raider. The Great War was then at its very beginning, and the ocean forces of the Hun had not completely sunk their later degradation, so that our vessel was made a legitimate prize, whilst we of her crew were treated with all the fairness and consideration due to us as naval prisoners. So liberal indeed was the discipline of our captors that five days after we were taken, I managed to escape alone in a small boat with water and provisions for a good length of time. when I finally found myself adrift and free, I had but little idea of my surroundings. Never a competent navigator, I could only guess vaguely by the sun and stars that I was somewhat south of the equator. Of the longitude I knew nothing, and no island or coastline was in sight. The weather kept fair, and for uncounted days I drifted aimlessly beneath the scorching sun, waiting either for some passing ship Or to be cast on the shores of some habitable land. But neither ship nor land appeared, and I began to despair in my solitude upon the heaving vastness of unbroken blue. The change happened whilst I slept. Its details I shall never know, for my slumber, though troubled and dream-infested, was continuous. When at last I awakened, it was to discover myself half-sucked into a slimy expanse of hellish black mire which extended about me in monotonous undulations as far as I could see, and in which my boat lay grounded some distance away. Though one might well imagine that my first sensation would be of wonder at so prodigious and unexpected a transformation of scenery, I was in reality more horrified than astonished, for there was in the air and in the rotting soil a sinister quality which chilled me to the very core. The region was putrid with the carcasses of decaying fish and of other less describable things which I saw protruding from the nasty mud of the unending plain. Perhaps I should not hope to convey in mere words the unutterable hideousness that can dwell in absolute silence and barren immensity. There was nothing within hearing, and nothing in sight save reach of black slime, yet the very completeness of the stillness and the homogeneity of the land oppressed me with a nauseating fear. The sun was blazing down from a sky which seemed to me almost black in its cloudless cruelty, as though reflecting the inky marsh beneath my feet. As I crawled into the stranded boat, I realized that Only one theory could explain my position. Through some unprecedented volcanic upheaval, a portion of the ocean floor must have been thrown to the surface, exposing regions which for innumerable millions of years had lain hidden under unfathomable watery depths. So great was the extent of the new land which had risen beneath me that I could not detect the faintest noise of the surging ocean, strain my ears as I might nor were there any sea-fowl to prey upon the dead things. For several hours I sat thinking or brooding in the boat, which lay upon its side and afforded a slight shade as the sun moved across the heavens. As the day progressed, the ground lost some of its stickiness and seemed likely to dry sufficiently for travelling purposes in a short time. That night I slept but little, and the next day I made for myself a pack containing food and water, preparatory to an overland journey in search of the vanished sea and possible rescue. On the third morning I found the soil dry enough to walk upon with ease. The odor of the fish was maddening, but I was too much concerned with graver things to mind so slight an evil, and set out boldly for an unknown goal. All day I forged steadily onward, guided by a far-away hummock, which rose higher than any other elevation in the rolling desert. That night I encamped, and on the following day still travelled toward the hummock, though that object seemed scarcely nearer than when I first espied it. By the fourth evening I attained the base of the mound, which turned out to be much higher than it had appeared from a distance, an intervening valley setting it out in sharper relief from the general surface. Too weary to ascend, I slept in the shadow of the hill. I know not why my dreams were so wild that night, but ere the waning and fantastically gibbous moon had risen far above the eastern plain, I was awake in a cold perspiration, determined to sleep no more. Such visions as I had experienced were too much for me to endure again. And in the glow of the moon i saw how unwise i had been to travel by day without the glare of the parching sun my journey would have cost me much less energy indeed i now felt quite able to perform the ascent which had deterred me at sunset picking up my pack i started for the crest of the eminence i have said that the unbroken monotony The rolling plain was a source of vague horror to me, but I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down on the other side to an immeasurable pit or canyon whose black recesses the moon had not yet soared high enough to illuminate. I felt myself at the edge of the world, peering over the rim into a fathomless chaos of eternal night. Through my terror ran curious reminiscences of paradise lost, and of Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned realms of darkness. As the moon climbed higher in the sky, I began to see that the slopes of the valley were not quite so perpendicular as I had imagined. Ledges and outcroppings of rock afforded fairly easy footholds for a descent, whilst after a drop of a few hundred feet the declivity became very gradual. Urged on by an impulse which I cannot definitely analyze, I scrambled with difficulty down the rocks and stood on the gentler slope beneath, gazing into the Stygian deeps where no light had yet penetrated. All at once my attention was captured by a vast and singular object on the opposite slope, which rose steeply about a hundred yards ahead of me, an object that gleamed whitely, in the newly bestowed rays of the ascending moon. That it was merely a gigantic piece of stone, I soon assured myself. But I was conscious of a distinct impression that its contour and position were not altogether the work of nature. A closer scrutiny filled me with sensations I cannot express, for despite its enormous magnitude and its position in the abyss, which had yawned at the bottom of the sea since the world was young, I perceived beyond a doubt that the strange object was a well-shaped monolith whose massive bulk had known the workmanship and perhaps the worship of living and thinking creatures. Dazed and frightened, yet not without a certain thrill of the scientist's or archaeologist's delight, I examined my surroundings more closely. The moon, now near the zenith, shone weirdly and vividly above the towering steeps that hemmed down the chasm, and revealed the fact that a far flung body of water flowed at the bottom, winding out of sight in both directions and almost lapping my feet as I stood upon the slope. Across the chasm, the wavelets washed the base of the cyclopean monolith on whose surface I could now trace both inscriptions and crude sculptures. The writing was in a system of hieroglyphics unknown to me, and unlike anything I had seen in books, consisting for the most part of conventionalized aquatic symbols, such as fishes, eels, octopi, crustaceans, mollusks, whales, and the like. Several characters obviously represented marine things which are unknown to the modern world, but whose decomposing forms I had observed in the ocean-risen plain. It was the pictorial carving, however, that did most to hold me spellbound. Plainly visible across the intervening water on account of their enormous size were an array of bas-reliefs, whose subjects would have excited the envy of a dore. I think these things were supposed to depict men, at least a a certain sort of men, though the creatures were shown disporting like fishes in the waters of some marine grotto or paying homage to some monolithic shrine which appeared to be under the waves as well. Of their faces and forms, I dare not speak in detail for the mere remembrance makes me grow faint. Grotesque beyond the imagination of a poe or a bull where they were, damnably human in general outline despite webbed hands and feet, shockingly wide and flabby lips, glassy, bulging eyes and other features less pleasant to recall. Curiously enough, they seemed to have been chiseled badly out of proportion with their scenic background, for one of the creatures was shown in the act of killing a whale, represented as but little larger than himself. I remarked, as I say, their grotesqueness and strange size, but in a moment decided that they were merely the imaginary gods of some primitive fishing or seafaring tribe, some tribe whose descendants had perished eras before the first ancestor, of the piltdun or the Neanderthal man was born. Awestruck at this unexpected glimpse into a past beyond the conception of the most daring anthropologist, I stood musing whilst the moon cast queer reflections on the silent channel before me. Then I suddenly saw it with only a slight churning to mark its rise to the surface, the thing slid into view above the dark waters. Vast, polyphemus-like, and loathsome, it darted like a stupendous monster of nightmares to the monolith, about which it flung its gigantic, scaly arms, and while it bowed its hideous head, it gave vent to certain measured sounds. I think I went mad then. Of my frantic ascent to the slope and the cliff, and of my delirious journey back to the stranded boat, I remember little. I believe I sang a great deal and laughed oddly when I was unable to sing. I have indistinct recollections of a great storm after some time, after I reached the boat. At any rate, I knew I heard peals of thunder and other tones which nature utters only in her wildest moods. When I came out of the shadows, I was in a San Francisco hospital, brought thither by a captain of the American ship which had picked up my boat in mid-ocean. In my delirium, I said much, but found that my words were given scant attention. Of any land upheaval in the Pacific, my rescuers knew nothing, nor did I deem it necessary to insist upon a thing which I knew they could not believe. Once I sought out an a celebrated ethnologist, and amused him with peculiar questions regarding the ancient Philistine legend of Dagon, the fish god, but soon perceived that he was hopelessly conventional, and I did not press my inquiries. It is at night, especially when the moon is gibbous and waning, that I see the thing. I tried morphine, but the drug has given only transient surcease, as it has drawn me into its clutches as a hopeless slave. So now I am to end it all. Having written a full account for the information or the contemptuous amusement of my fellow men. Often I ask myself, if it could not have all been, a pure phantasm, a mere freak of fever as I lay sun-stricken and raving in the open boat after my escape from the German Man of War. This I ask myself, but ever does there come before me a hideously vivid vision in reply. I cannot think of the deep sea without shuddering at the nameless things, that may at this very moment be crawling and floundering upon its slimy bed, worshipping their ancient stone idols and carving their own detestable likenesses on submarine obelisks of water-soaked granite. I dream of a day when they may rise above the billows to drag down in their reeking talons the remnants of puny, war-exhausted mankind, of a day when the land shall sink and the dark ocean floor shall ascend amid universal pandemonium. The end is near. I hear a noise at the door as of some immense, slippery body lumbering against it. It shall not find me. God! That hand! The window! The window! And there you have H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon. Y'all, thank you very much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed. And as per usual, let's talk about it in chat. For anyone who is unaware, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and if you're wondering how you might hear more of Vintage Sidecar, which is our Tuesday show where we shed some light on Classic Lit, if you want to hear more about Wednesdays, which is Side Cannons, that is our tabletop RPG day, where we do some storytelling in that fashion, and of course on Thursdays we've got Flying Sidecar, a voice actor's adventure through some stories we all love. I would encourage you to go to those links, find the Discord, and you can find everything that you're looking for. That is linktree slash sidecarstories, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash sidecarstories. Let's see what y'all have to say. Jade Dragon says he should have tried the magic mushrooms. And yeah, this is a bit of an off topic, a little, I guess, but frankly, it sounds like there have been some possible developments in terms of uh, kind of helping folks to overcome certain uh, certain mental challenges, uh, with different distillations of, <laughs> uh, uh, what are they called? Uh, psychedelics. And unfortunately my drug knowledge is not deep. Um, it is, it is wide, but certainly not deep. Um, and my experience is even less <laughs> literally have never even smoked marijuana. Uh, never, I think the the hardest I've ever gone is I did smoke hookah a few times, and I wouldn't even do that ever again Rubik's gaming says this is like after you see a scary movie and have scary dreams and everything looks sinister. Yes, indeed And we're gonna find that this is a pretty common theme with Lovecraft um, I think uh, we're gonna get to sort of a uh, a Distillation of what exactly we saw in that entire story as well, but let's start out with this idea This is something we're gonna see in Lovecraft a lot this idea that someone has experienced something and they just can't escape the impression that it left upon them. They're away from the thing, right? As according to this story, um, this protagonist has has not genuinely seen these creatures, this obelisk since the event. And yet the vision comes back to him. Let's talk about a quick summary because I think it'll be more helpful to do it immediately after It'll be a little fresher in people's minds. Our protagonist once again unnamed this seems fairly common and I think it's a it is uh, an element of style um, it's an element of we could call we could you could maybe put it under the heading of genre as well but um, certainly it is it is one element of style um, and one element of point of view uh, to have it be sort of this unnamed, Uh, not a particularly well-defined protagonist. We don't know anything about their history. We don't know much about their history. We'll we'll get into that in a moment. Um, And we don't know much about where they come from. And so it is much easier for you yourself to imagine yourself there because you don't have to pretend you're coming there from the perspective of like uh, a, a 1920s chef to jazz musicians or something. Like you don't need to find your way into something very specific before you sort of get to the horror horror portion. Rubik's Gaming, I think, has put it very succinctly. Rubik's says it makes it so anyone could experience it, indeed. So, in this story, we begin with this once again, unnamed protagonist, discussing an event. Uh, this is from the same sort of first-person perspective. It is it is being told directly by the protagonist as if the protagonist is telling someone later on about this. In the Edgar Allan Poe story, Telltale Heart, we don't know precisely who that discussion was with. In this story, it is a letter. It is sort of a memoir, a an account of what happened just so that it's there, so that they left some record of what they experienced. They begin their account um, by saying, basically, I'm about to jump out that window so that I can end all of this because even morphine can't help me anymore. But my story starts on a boat. We were attacked by Germans in the sea. Um, Our ship was defeated uh we were taken prisoner but they were kind of they were a little lazy about guarding us and so i was able to escape with a boat and some food and some water i got away but i fell asleep and when i woke up i was on this massive stretch of land i want y'all to imagine this with me imagine a desert right a, a, a desert full of sand that sort of thing but imagine it now instead of Yellow sand, it is black mud. Over the course of the story we begin to understand this is the seafloor, the 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 floor of the Pacific, um, by means of some kind of like volcanic upheaval. He doesn't know precisely this is his guess, but essentially he says some crazy stuff happened. Maybe an underwater earthquake would be the most basic way to say it. And now this the the very floor of the ocean has risen up and I The smell of rotting fish, fish, things I recognize, things I don't recognize, is absolutely despicable. And it's silent here. After falling asleep, he, he wakes up and realizes that he can't even see the water anymore. He's just, whatever this this seafloor rising happened, this big, you know, hump of the seafloor rose up right underneath him. And so now the water is in some direction, but he doesn't know where. After a few days, it's dry enough to travel. And he walks and walks and walks until he sees a, a bit of a hill on the distance and decides, well, it's the only land feature I can sort of see. So I guess I'll head toward that. And he arrives there sleeps for the night and then climbs this hill to find that there is an enormous chasm down below. We can imagine this as like, I'm imagining it as the great the the great Canyon. what? as the Grand Canyon, think of a a, a canyon, something massive except instead of cool striations where you can see the history of uh, geology. instead, you're seeing, Just blackness down below, just infinite dark, down, 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 black mud, unlit, and yet seized by some sort of strange impulse, he heads down into this massive canyon, sort of slipping and sliding his way down, and what he finds there is... Something very scary all at first. Oh, Judas, it is a big old shape. It's a big white shape against all this black... Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, it's fine, it's fine. It's just a big rock. Except, wait a second. This rock is from the bottom of the ocean. It must be truly ancient. Before the history of humanity, even. And yet... As I'm looking at it, I can see it's got markings. It's got hieroglyphics almost. You know, it's got it's got pictograms, it's got little little pictures, it's got writing on it. And there are images of fish people. And they are people and yet they've got they've got you know, fish like features they've got webbed hands and they have got mouths that are distorted and strange and surely this can't be right surely this must be just a picture of some ancient god because to look at it it would appear that they're only a little smaller than like a whale and as i stand here at the edge of this little river that sort of runs through this giant canyon of black mud suddenly from the river emerges one of these creatures. This creature, which should have been unimaginably ancient before the first human ever walked the earth. It should have been dead and gone, and yet there is one. And it comes out of the water, and it embra- it gives the big old bear hug to this big white obelisk, which is just... A ju- an obelisk is basically just like a big piece of stone as a marker, and some of them are carved, some of them aren't. It it hugs this thing, and this dude, this dude yeets himself right out of there. Frankly, um, he is out. He 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 dips and heads up the side of this canyon, heads back over the hill, heads back to his boat, which he left there. He doesn't remember how he got back to the water. He doesn't even remember much about being on the water, but he wakes up. After being tormented by the the knowledge that this thing could be pursuing him, and by the sts, ever the ever crushing silence of this black mud desert, and the stench of rotting fish and octopi and whatever else these things are down here. Yeah, Jade Dragon says he met the void. He wakes up, he's in a a hospital, which I believe said it was in uh, San Francisco, and he relays this, but he spends the rest of his time, we don't know quite how long it was, uh, but every time he imagines, maybe it wasn't real, he talks to professionals about this, historians, about Dagon, the fish god of um, uh, of the Philistines. Every time he seems to sort of be settling down, every time he sort of can start to convince himself, maybe it wasn't real, maybe I was just having a fever dream on that boat, you know, after escaping from the Germans, maybe I just had a fever dream on the boat, and the whole black desert never happened, I've spoken to sailors, and none of them mention that anything weird is going on in the middle of the Pacific, no rising land, no black mud desert, nothing, it can't be real, and then the vision comes back to him, and That is where we find him in this room where he's about to hurl himself out the window and he imagines once more that he can hear those shapes outside the door and he, there's the the hand. We don't know if he sees the hand or imagines the hand, but he says the window, the window, and that is the end. Orly Rose says it's such a great contrast between this and Poe, where outside forces slash actions seem to be working on our protagonists, which leads them to descent into madness and paranoia. Yes, indeed, and this is let's. I'm i going to rewind a little bit further. So don't worry, we're not we're not going to start there and move down. I'm going to start up a little higher. But that is something I want to definitely emphasize between this and Poe. Um, certainly, Edgar Allan Poe was the horror of the internal. I think most horror is the horror of the external. I think much of it is. I think most horror falls in the genre of spooky things out there somewhere. And then sort of on that spectrum, right? We can start with, um, uh, boy, I need some scratch paper. That would be so handy right now. Uh, What am I doing? Hold on, hold on, I'll be right back. I wanna do this. Actually, I've just had an idea. I've got big post-it notes here. I'll just use those. So we've got this spectrum, right? Where we start with the the internal, the horror of the internal. Um and right here we've got Poe. All right, right here inside that circle, inside the internal there, we've got Edgar Allan Poe. Um, who likes to hang out there. He likes to, he he likes certainly in that last story to discuss that internal horror uh and of course y'all who are listening to the audio only version can't see this but on the very left hand side of this i've drawn a little circle and then a line coming from the center of that circle it looks like a lollipop on its side um and poe is inside that circle he likes the horror of the internal and then about you know just a little bit outside of that circle we've got um we've got zombies and uh we've got ghosts a little bit outside of that circle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we've got, let's see, what else do we have? We've got slashers. Just outside of that circle on this spectrum. But there's a lot of room over there at the other end of that, isn't there? There's a lot of room. You know, we, we've sort of, we've got a lollipop on its side. The, the head of the lollipop is over on the left. And that's where we can see, you know, Poe is inside the lollipop. And then just outside of that lollipop is the slashers, the zombie, the ghost. And then there's a lot of room over on the other side. And We keep going we keep going more and more external more and more and more external things that are so distant that surely there couldn't be any horror there because we've talked at length during frankenstein about how horror relies on the familiar it relies on sort of the perversion of the familiar it relies on taking a familiar thing and making it unfamiliar and therefore terrifying whether it is an exploration of humanity as as unfamiliar and terrifying. We talked about at length how the description of Frankenstein's monster was not one of being, you know, this big, like eight, you know, a uh, 16 armed creature with 14 eyes. And uh, it wasn't that it was human almost. And that's what makes it the absolute worst. Surely there can't be something so far out on this lollipop spectrum way, way down past the handle. Surely. We need to rely on something familiar, and yet, when you get out there all the way at the end, and I've now made a little dotted line over at the other end, all the way over on the far right-hand side of the spectrum, and over there is Lovecraft. On the opposite end of the spectrum. That's where Lovecraft likes to hang out. Almost Almost to spite introspective horror. I'm sure that wasn't genuinely his intent. He brought up Poe, but it, it wasn't it wasn't explicitly despite Poe, but think about that as a genre. This is something which is so far beyond. Uh, Mirden says ghosts are mostly internal fear, though. It's all shadows, creaking of old houses, and so on. I think I think ghosts are an external fear. I think there is a there is a certain fear of death, which I would consider that to be sort of internal, and I think a lot of horror does rely on death in some tangential way. Um, uh, Vsauce actually did a great exploration of what is the scariest thing, and if you want more information on that, I would certainly advise you check out that video. Um... But, almost in spite of this introspective horror, we've got Lovecraft exploring the horror of being absolutely insignificant. I want to tell you all, this is the type of horror that really gets me the worst. I think, like, one of, one of, my, one of the most horrifying things ever to me, it's not slashers, it's not zombies, it was aliens for a little while, but not anymore, it is Oort Clouds. O-O-R-T clouds, Oort clouds. Maybe, maybe I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but those things freak me out. And it's because they are massive. Simply the scale. If any of you ever have the the same the same sense of fear that I do over watching a watching a video about the scale of the universe. Um or, or the scale of even the even the the galaxy. That is the that is the type of fear that we've got here and sometimes it's about space like the Oort cloud thing for me it's That's just a, a just a feature of of astronomy And yet it scares me as a as a sense of scale because I am so Insignificant in comparison to that Lovecraft has done some things like that with the exploration of scale of of size But he loves to hang out in the realm of the scale of time He loves to hang out in this little niche of horror that says think about how long the world has lived. Think about how long the universe around you has lived. How could you think you mean anything? The idea that the only thing separating you from apocalypse by fish people is one weird little earthquake. And that they're coming. They're coming now. I'm gonna be very excited to explore this when we make our way into the story The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Let's get to some of these other some of these other chats that we've got here. Um, Stationary Fork says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go back a little bit further. Um, Cobra says, kind of how Frankenstein saw some stuff that happened and he guessed that the monster was behind it. Indeed, yes. He's sort of getting these visions and there's guessing and then there's sort of obsessing. And I think, you know, sometimes Frankenstein blurred the lines between those two things. Uh, And indeed, we may find that this is where this protagonist is as well. Stationary Fork says, I feel pretty bad for the main character. A traumatic experience can cause PTSD. I think that the main character saw in this. Uh, I think that what the main character saw in this is far beyond. So, uh, so it makes him. It makes him insane, and that makes sense. Um, and I think there's a, there's a distinction there between insanity and PTSD. Certainly, um, and I will remind you all once again, as I think I'm going to make kind of a, one of our anthems here as we discuss horror in general, is that for both of these things there are genuinely there are resources available um, and uh, I didn't realize it before, but I absolutely realize it now. I'm gonna start to collect those resources and I'm gonna make that a command in chat so that people can get access to this stuff directly. Um, if uh, if our exploration of this yields anything positive, I would love for it to be that. Um, but certainly, yeah, this is a very traumatic experience and I don't think PTSD was particularly well understood in Lovecraft's today. Um, I think morphine was a fairly common remedy for that, but of course morphine is deeply, deeply addictive. Um, and as as this protagonist has expressed, it sort of drew, drew them in and they became slave to it And but, and it didn't help. Over time it stopped helping, it didn't work anymore. Uh, Rose says, Poe sets it up through a dialogue with frenetic pace where Lovecraft describes the outside horrors that press in on our protagonist. Indeed, yeah, let's talk about the pace a little bit. Y'all know we like to do that. Um, Lovecraft, or excuse me, uh, Poe, we read Telltale Heart, very quickly paced, uh, a lot of description of short time periods at the same time. Um, and then in this, we have this, this much more drawn out pace. I think over this whole... Monologue slash letter, one could imagine just sort of like a deep rending like, like, uh, like any modern alien movie, like any alien movie after, say, 2017, where they like to just ex- exploit those long droning tones. Um, I think we could sort of we could hear that throughout all of this. I think that would, you know, if we were to listen to like a radio play of this, that wouldn't sound too out of place. It would just sound like a, a trailer for something that we would maybe go and watch if we liked this genre. Um, and it's plodding, not plotting, but plodding sort of slow, methodical trek through this story. We don't get these, these massive zoom ins where we'll spend a ton of time just talking about how slowly one entered a door. We get a little bit of play-by-play action, Uh, a few moments wherein we're following the protagonist as they get a glimpse of this big stone and what happens when this fish creature, alive, impossibly alive, leaps out of the water and embraces this obelisk. We get a bit of play-by-play there, but a lot of this story is just about the slow, constant press of the fear of knowing that this thing is real, not being able to convince anyone of that, and having that just linger in your background, in your history. It's there. At the first glimpse of the stone, you thought you could say, you could bury that mentally, you could file that in a drawer as pre-ancient history, and yet there's the fish person. It's right there. Now it's part of your history. Dolly says, death is the most intense fear we as humans have. And yes, Vsauce did an amazing video on such. I highly recommend it to those that haven't watched the channel. Indeed. Uh, Stationary Fork says, what about a killer? I mean, it can fall on both sides, as in the people who fear the killer, but also the internal struggle going on within the killer that makes someone become one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, you know, there have been a few narrow, I would call Telltale Heart one of them, a few narrow explorations of... um, the internal part of the slasher horror genre, um, but I would call I would call you know Telltale Heart fairly unique, not entirely unique, but pretty unique. Um, let's see. Dahlia says I totally understand that fear. It's similar to the fear of depths and heights and even falling, uh, which I have all of them. It's a paralyzing fear of being so far away from safety and being the tiniest fraction of the distance you're in. Space is the most extreme magnitude of such terrors, hence cosmic horror is endless since you can't see the beginning, end, or even the form of it as our human limitations keep us from understanding it in totality. That's, I mean, that's a pretty good explanation of it, Dahlia. I think it is It is a, a sense of insignificance and a sense of of you know, we've talked before about how so much of the horror of Frankenstein and of horror in general is served by the unknown, by keeping the monster in the dark in a very literal way. If you're you're watching it on a movie, see how long it takes for them to fully show you what the monster looks like. That fear of the unknown is, is huge. And it's interesting because so many horror genres will take advantage of that by not showing you something. And then we get to Lovecraft. And what Lovecraft seems to say is, try to look. I'll show you. Try to look. Try to understand it. It's too big. It's too ancient for you to understand. This is something that adds, I think, for me, an extra layer of... Terror, or rather an extension of that same terror of the unknown. Because when I see something in the dark, I know if I turned a light on, I would see its whole shape. I would know what's there. This is a permanent darkness. This is a darkness of understanding. This is a this is a fear of the unknown. Because, try as you might, it is unknowable. It is too vast for your imagination. It is too large for your comprehension. We can turn all the lights on, and it will still be the unknown. And I think that seems like an appropriate place to call it for the day. Everyone, thank you very, very much for joining me. This has been Vintage Sidecar, where we shed some light on classic lit. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and this has been HP Lovecraft and his short story, Dagon. Now, I hope to catch up with you all again very soon with something like this. Uh, Don't forget, head over to the Book Fair channel in Discord. Uh, Dahlia has also just posted a link remember among us Wednesday is tomorrow y'all are doing uh, uh, the uh, Let's see Yeah, okay. Um, Yes, so among us Wednesday is tomorrow I believe it's in every other week schedule, Dahlia if I remember correctly Um, I would certainly encourage y'all to to uh, go and enjoy that tomorrow And then don't forget head to the discord because we are coordinating basically everything there and don't forget come back in one hour because we're doing perhaps my most ill-advised stream yet. Baby, lock the doors and turn the lights down low. That's right, it's side karaoke. Uh. (laughs) Baby, lock the doors and turn the lights down low. Everyone, I hope... Oh, I do need an organ riff. Yeah. I probably won't use that one because I'll get struck for it. But yeah, just some sort of very spooky organ riff. Y'all, thank you so much for being here with me. Don't forget, one hour side karaoke, end of September, book fair. Please head over to the book fair channel and to the side karaoke channel for more information on both of those. I will see you all in one hour. Tell your friends, ping people, get them in here. It's going to be dumb, it's going to be fun. I love y'all, and I will see you then. I want to thank you all very much for being here. Cobra, Gems, uh, uh, Luis, Dahlia, let's see, uh, Rose, Missy, Fork, Rubix, (laughs) y'all have been incredible. Sander, I'm guessing, is still in here. I think Sander went AFK, but Sander, thank you for hanging out earlier, Um, or now, whichever one it is. And then, of course, we've got Jade, Dragon, Gems, Sander, Dahlia, Courier6, Sylvan, and Rubix over in the Discord, y'all. You're fantastic and I look forward to seeing you again in one hour. Goodbye folks.